And we are back. The Dern Show, episode number 10. How's it going, guys? Living the dream. Every day. We have a... Finally, we just we said have... something different at the opening. I know. I, I just froze there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it's going. Don't say it's going. Take number 17. Here we go. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Whoever's editing this is going to have a good time. <laughs> um... So this this one's going to be a pretty sweet episode. We've talked, I don't even know how many times, we've talked about finally playing. Matt, you made a little visit to the Pacific Northwest, and we nerded out hardcore for like a week straight. And we got so many Lord of the Rings games in. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a blast. It was, it was a good time. And so as a result, now we have some updates on challenges, some throwdowns. Uh, we've talked so much smack about armies and how much they suck, but um, oddly enough, the Easterlings didn't show up. So I guess we don't get to talk about them, but anyways, we did play with some good armies and, <laughs> and, Mitchell, and the, the shaking of the head doesn't show up in the audio. <laughs> my face red enough over the camera. <laughs> hey, all I'm saying is Easterlings didn't play at all this, all this last week. So no, no, I, I called in their brethren. Um, but uh, no, it'll be. I think it'll be great. Matt, you and I got to play a couple games, but I think what we'll do is we'll just highlight one, um, one of our games, and then you and Mitchell play, and we can highlight that game as well. Do a little bat report after action, uh, like we've done with some other ones. So I think this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Some updates to our thoughts and thesis, because for the longest time we've been just theorizing, right? Well, I think yes. I think that this would do well, and now we can finally put it on the table and see what it actually does and kind of give an update. Yeah. And it, it plays well too, because this will be our third episode where we talk about live games. And just since it's so hard to find games right now with the pandemic, it's probably fills a nice niche for us to do a little list logic exploration, as well as trying to at least give the semblance of gameplay back to normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this several times, but my favorite part of this hobby really is playing but second to that is the after action analysis of hey how did how did your list do did it work like you thought it what could you tweak what could you do better is it a good list but maybe you tactfully you didn't really understand how to play it like there's so many nuances that you can dive into and have a blast with so that's what i really enjoy so this will be this will be good um now let's just jump into it so first game matt you and i uh, it was good versus evil, so it was a good matchup. Uh, Fiefdoms did challenge your Corsairs, and we've talked about both these armies, so I don't know if it's worth it to do a, a, a list review, but... Um, Just do a on... quick breakdown, yeah. Yeah, so so quick breakdown, we were playing at 800 points. Uh, I had Corsairs, so um, 58 models in the first list that I'm going to talk about, and that had Dalamir, Delgamar... Corsair Captain, a Corsair Bosun. I think that's it. 58 you for, models. You, yeah, you, forgot the, you forgot the 37 crossbows that you, you took. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had uh, – I, <laughs> I did have a, a decent amount of crossbows. So, you know, I, I sprinkled in crossbows in each warband except for the Bosun. Uh, so I think every warband had five crossbows in Dalgamar, Dalamir, and the Captain – um, then filled out their lengths. Dalamir had a few Black Numenorean warriors and a banner. 
a black Numenorean with a banner. Uh, Delgamar was filled out with, you know, just Corsairs with spears, shields, and, so- and swords and shields. Uh, the bosun had 12 reavers uh, upgraded to each have an axe so I could piercing strike with them. Um, and my captain had a crossbow. Yeah. I love I love how casually you dropped, um, yeah, 58 models at 800 points. You know, that was like it was nothing. But my goodness, that's a lot of models at 800. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about this a lot during this game because that got, came out quite a bit. And it was going against fiefdoms. My model count was 42. And holy cow, that's a big difference between between the two. Uh, I was running the Emrahil, Forlong, Engbor combo. Each of those warbands pretty evenly balanced. Uh, but pretty heavy on the cavalry. I think I had 10, yeah, 10 warrior knights mounted to go along with uh, Forlong and Emerhill. So a very mobile army with some pretty solid troops of elite infantry. So, and and we haven't posted any pictures on our Instagram, but we'll post up some pictures of these battles because I think the table looked pretty great. I set it up myself. Um, so I'll humble brag there. But it it did provide I agree. some. It was pretty very cool Nova esque. It was, uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool, but, um, yeah, those are the two armies. Let's jump into it. Matt, what was the, what was the scenario we were playing? So on this one, we were playing assassination. So that's the one where you, the, the primary VPs are scored from, uh, killing your target with your chosen assassin. And then you score fewer points if you, uh, kill regardless of who kills your target and, it just keeps going down. I think it's seven, five, three, one. I think you get uh, three points if you wound the target with your assassin, five points if you kill the target, but not with your assassin, and seven points if you kill the target with your assassin. And then one point if you wound the target, but not with your assassin. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're right. And then uh, armies being broken, I believe, and then wounds on the enemy leader. Correct. So... Heavily, heavily weighted towards the assassination and the deployment, 24-inch deployment zone. So, again, we'll have to post a picture so you can see. And, Matt, you can you can describe this a little bit too. But the table side that you chose was there was an open, there was an open lane or open um, point of view that went almost all the way back to your board edge. And you deployed deep in that kind of cove with the idea, I think, that you were going to be able to have more opportunity to shoot in that in those in those lanes. So not all the way back on your board edge, but probably what, 10, 12 inches off your board edge. Yeah, I had one set of I had my uh, warband with Delgamar all the way in the back right corner because he had a shooting lane and I had him six inches off the backboard. And then I put uh the captain and Dalamir, more left side of center, probably 12 inches away from backboard edge, and had my reavers positioned between Delgamar and the other two warbands behind trees. So the idea is that the, the group that I wanted to protect had some cover right off the bat. Um, you, my, my Delgamar warband was positioned right across from Angbor. Uh, and everybody else you had was dead middle coming at me. So my thought was on the back right, ma- maximize shooting for as long as possible. 
on the left side, uh, kind of take the middle ground on that, probably have a couple rounds of shooting, but be able to react based on what you did. My intention, kind of setting up my strategy was, if it went my way, everything would continually fall back and I'd stagger which warband moved. So one crossbow set would always get to shoot until I met everything in the back right corner is what I was thinking. Of course, as we talk on, we'll be able to explain that that's not quite how it worked out. Well, why don't we just why don't we disclose who our targets were and then take why don't you take us through the first couple turns? Um, my target I was trying to assassinate was Dalga Dalgamar. Mm-hmm. And you were trying to assassinate Forlong the Fat, right? I went for Forlong the Fat. And, uh, you know, I was I was trying to be somewhat sneaky. I chose uh, my captain with the crossbow as my assassin, just kind of thinking that that wouldn't be the logical choice. And also, since he did have a crossbow, um, I figured if I could nonchalantly shoot into Ang- to Forlong without, um, without making it too obvious, if I had the opportunity to use a point of might and get a wound might be able to get some cheeky points off that without you expecting it. Yeah, let's uh, let's stop there because I know we're going to come back. Mitchell, actually, I interrupted you. Go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, that's that's not a terrible strategy, thinking that, yeah, it's just a generic captain. He's not, he's not expecting it, but that the Corsairs get the backstabber rule. That is sneaky, sneaky good. So a captain running in there, fight five, gets plus one to wound on a trap. That That'll drop just... A lot of things so i like i like that where you're going with that yeah it'll it'll come up in a big way at the end of the game uh fantastic choice i think a huge distraction you can't take your bosun because i think the bosun's much too fragile on this list because you're relying on him to protect your reavers dalgamar is the blatant choice and i think even though he's the blatant choice and it fooled me it's would you have your blatant choice of a three attack hero with three might throwing weapons all of these other perks that you could use at your disposal or are you going to go casual with your captain and casual with your captain was it was an amazing play never saw it coming never and if i ever play anybody who listens to us at a tournament i will never use the captain again. <laughs> so stay wink, ahead wink, of time I've, yeah. I've seen your pod, i've heard your podcast <laughs> you know even if they heard this and they've put it on the table and then they saw those they saw that army i nine times out of ten they're still gonna assume it's talgamar like he it's, wouldn't do it again <laughs> there's no way he doubles up on this hail mary strategy but take us through the first little bit of the game matt Okay, so on your side of the board, you had a lot of fences and trees. And what I forgot to say is in front of Delgamar's uh, warband, that he was deployed right up against a, a wall, which we said was less than half the height of a model, but more than uh, of a horse cavalry unit, but more than half the height of an infantry. So um, I put right up against that with Delgamar's warband, and he had trees off to his left. Um, so you had your two big war bands with Forlong and Imrahil, dead middle of the board, and you had uh, Angbor deployed behind a little ruin uh, building on my far right board edge, right in front of my cat, uh, right in front of Delgamar's war band. So um, I can't remember who won priority at first. I think it might've been you. Actually, it was me. I didn't move first turn. You charged all the way up. Um, and what's kind of surprised me is instead of coming at Delgamar, when Angbor's warband started moving, you brought them forward, but coming towards center of the board, 
to try and get out of get the trees on my side between me and my my far right hand warband. Um, so I think turn one, I got a few crossbow shots, actually 16 crossbow shots, uh, but I don't think I did that much damage. I had some fairly low rolls. What did I kill, Marcus? Like three models, and I didn't dismount any horses. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And I, I can't remember if it was the first turn or the second turn. You actually moved some of your guys to try and set up a shot. So you sacrificed a turn of shooting, but your your shooting rolls were pathetic for the first couple turns overall. Right. Yeah, so first turn just means you moving closer, me pretty much standing. You lost maybe three models at most. Uh, second move, uh, you were already in position with well, I was going to say, I definitely won priority here because that's where I was able to launch full on to your Reaver Warband with some of my knights. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the knights crashed into the Reavers. You engaged Delgamar's and the captain's side by the wall. And I was set up defending the barrier. Um, so that was to my advantage. But you, you got quite a few cavalry into the middle against the Reavers. And then uh, Delgamar's Warband decided not to shoot because Angbor was already out of range with the trees in the way. So Delgamar marched more towards middle. Um, when combat started, Marcus, you're going to have to remind me, but what I remember happening is it immediately, I realized with how quickly you got up, up to me that my reavers and the captain were basically pinned against the trees behind them. Yep. And D Delgamar was on the left side, not engaged, but most of his front line was. And I realized that you had four long, right in the middle of the board, set up on the charge with a heroic combat. You had Imrahil engaged with one warrior, ready for heroic combat. And with that heroic combat, he was going to be in range of Dalamir. Yes. So when I responded, I tried to fill the gaps as much as possible. And I brought the bosun and Dalamir into a fight against one knight so when it was time to call heroics for the fight phase i waited for you to call first and you called a combat with forlong and then i called and i should i did this wrong but i called them both at once i called a heroic combat with my bosun's only point of might and i called a heroic strike with dalamir all on the same night and then i think you kind of saw what was going on and you then called a heroic strike with, yeah, you called a heroic strike with Imrahil at the same time mm -hmm. and answered. Mm -hmm. So we rolled for combats, and I, Matt, I got. Sorry, go quick ahead. pause. Matt, were you not gunning to kill that warrior that was in combat with Imrahil to eliminate the combat? Or did that just fail? He was there. pinned up against the tree. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's a good question because I would have loved to have shot that guy, but could not get my archers in on it without multiple in the ways. Well, okay. and let's back up back up one because that actually cues up a good question. So your formation, Matt, you're almost like a inverted V. You had a little bit of a, a tip in the middle, but then you were you were flanking out on both sides with shooting prepared. And I had I had set up pretty much on a straight line and via calling a march with four long not for long, with uh, Engbor on the side, and then the fast-moving cavalry. I basically merged from a straight line to a center point to engage your center point. Yeah. And that center point was right up against that cluster of trees, so you really couldn't shoot because obscuring and, and mm -hmm. other things. Okay. Yeah. And this was the second game I had played with, or the third game I'd played with Corsairs. And one thing I've realized is trying to play so hard to set up a gun line 
you don't want to create a death ball with Corsairs because you lose your flanking advantage and your numbers advantage for a turn or two while you try and get everybody around the side. So I purposely deployed <laughs> in a fashion that I could try and collapse around the middle just to bring my numbers to bear. So didn't have a shot opportunity. So I won the combat and I got to go first, but I had to roll my strike with Dalamir for that first combat. So Marcus basically got to see what my strike would roll up to. Anyways, I rolled a two with the strike, which it didn't matter. I was already going to win the fight. So I went up to fight seven, won the combat. But then you kind of realize, okay, Emrahill's, my plan was to charge into Emrahill and try and I was going to just blitzkrieg him the first time. And what I didn't say is I had three other Reavers in that combat. Yeah. I would have gotten them all into Emrahill. So it would have been set up beautifully because I'd have been trapped, piercing strike, plus two to wound on the Reavers. I'd have had Bane of Kings. All I needed was just a good heroic strike. But when I rolled a fight seven, I was just nervous that when Marcus finally had to roll his, that he'd go up above it. So I won the combat, and instead of engaging Imrahil, I took Dalimar into another just generic fight on the left-hand side, getting him out of range of Forlong uh, and everybody else. And so basically, I wasted a strike, uh, and Marcus wasted a strike, so we traded might at that point. Forlong then did his combat. I thought he was going to charge towards Delgamar or Dalamir, but I think the trees, when we measured, Marcus realized he couldn't quite get through after the combat. So Forlong just wound up going back towards Dalamir's side of the warband to get close to Imrahil and killed off a few more warriors. Now, the, the way that, Marcus, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I remember the rest of that round going is it heavily favored you. And you took yeah. out, I think you took out six Reavers, which got me pretty much on the backlash and probably three or four warriors at the same time. Yeah, I think it was that number sounds right. And that was like a total of 12 combats. So mm -hmm. I had like nine kills, maybe even less, because I think there were a couple of times where I charged multiple models at once. Um, but shamelessly, I want to plug for along a little bit because I feel like I blast on him a lot. A strength five hero with a Warlands going against D4 warriors <laughs> is pretty fun. And I reroll ones. <laughs> Forlong was having a field day today. He was like chomping at the bit. Yeah, um, he was. His horse but... didn't look as happy, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and. <laughs> well, somebody show me, please. Why me? Yeah. Why did you ride on me? All these uh, throwing daggers and crossbows, and not one of landed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, and on a serious note, the other plug, too. Uh, Corsairs being fight four, fiefdoms being fight four. There were a few instances where that Emerhill buff, that three inch buff of plus one fight value, really made a huge difference, especially on that initial charge, because he charged into the middle of your Reavers with knights flanking them on all sides. And so I had the charge bonus with the banner, plus the fight value advantage, plus the reroll ones. That first turn was pretty gnarly. Yeah, heavily favored towards you. Um, I might have killed two or three. Um, but that's with a heroic combat with the bosun. The Reavers really didn't do anything beyond what they did in the bosun's fight. Okay, now let's go into turn three. Turns three, four, five, whatever, they're going to merge together. So just call me out if I'm blending this too much. But at this point, Emrahil smack dab in the middle of the board, which I was proud of myself because I finally got, you know, my 12-inch banner to be, you know, an effective piece. So he's in the middle. But what I didn't foresee... Okay, so uh, Emrahil's in the middle, Forlong's on his right side, you know, within a few inches. And then, Matt, your bosun, Captain, and Dalamir were all further right slightly. 
And then on Emerhill's left, you had Dalgamar with a huge chunk of warriors. That was your big fighting block. And then even further around on my left flank, you had even more warriors coming to collapse. And we were fighting in between three tree blocks or three scenario blocks where there was a channel on the left, a channel on the right, a few combats in the in front of the center tree, and then everybody was trying to run around scenery to come in and come and join. So after, so you got to imagine we're fighting in these two channels with these blocking uh, pieces of terrain, these, these clumps of trees. And what I didn't realize was how, um, how limiting that was. Cause I charged my heroes basically into the front of that middle piece of terrain. So there were a block of reavers, Matt, you had reavers stacked up against those trees, but there wasn't an ability to break through a line and then run around or run through because those trees were, were setting up a, a really good perimeter. So, Turn three was basically the I charged the remaining reavers in the middle. I tried to bring so Forlong was on the left side running right towards the middle of the board. So I charged. Uh, I was able to try and set up a wall, set up my my shield wall on my left side. So that was Dalgamar's warband, uh, lots of throwing weapons, lots of swords and shields within these two clumps of trees. And then on the right side. Uh, you actually had the numbers advantage, but I was there was a wall on the right side, so I was able to take up a lot of space with just a few warriors. And I had a couple knights I had run way right to try and distract slash run around slash maybe set up for a potential charge in a turn where I pr priority didn't go my way. So that's kind of how I remember it. Turn three, I don't think I actually don't think there were any heroic combats called once we got to the fight phase. I don't remember any shooting phase happening significantly because a lot of combats. Correct. There was there was basically no shooting except for my throwing daggers as I was charging in. And you didn't have a ton because a lot of your throwing daggers were in the in the second rank or still running or running to try and join the combat. Correct. So yeah, the first turn we or the first turn of combat I should say we blew a lot of might in combats and strikes. Second turn was pretty quiet. It was essentially uh, just normal fights. Uh, I remember this turn going my way in terms of kill tally again, because uh, I had the charge with with some of my knights, the fight value bonus, the knock to the ground, the 12-inch banner. There's going to be a couple people that are forever going to be hating fiefdoms just because that stupid 12-inch banner. And I think you saw the the ones rerolled to six a few times. Yeah, I mean, it, the banner treated you really well. But, I mean, I can't complain because the way my army was set up, I have nine inches of banner. Um, so it was fairly even in that way, but yeah, you did get a lot of clutch rerolls with, with your 12 inch and the re just for people who don't know this army, the reason I said I had a nine inch banner is I had a black Numenorian with a banner. The bosun counts as a banner and Delgamar has the ability to make to count as a banner with the clause that if the person who uses it still doesn't win the fight, they take a hit. Yeah, no, there were, there were a lot of rerolls, rerolls on rerolls, rerolls, countering rerolls. It was great. Yeah. So turn three kind of went your way again, and then, uh, you know, pretty lopsided. Um, but the numbers, with the numbers I had, it was still fairly evenly matched at the end of turn three. Yeah. and, and, and I will say, I, though, you lost a lot of horses by the start of turn four. You had Imrahil and Forlong still on horses, but I think you were down to only three or four mounted heroes due pretty much just to throwing axes or throwing weapons by the time it was done. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great call. So the the turn went my way, but it was mostly because of foot versus foot combat or infantry versus infantry combat. That turn, um, you know, you're you're spot on. I lost a lot of my mounted units uh, just because your reavers plus one to wound. Because I charge, you counter charge, and you counter charge in a way that you got your traps. The reavers are already plus one to to wound. I think this was a good turn for them. Uh, I will say that when I initially charged, I set up to where I was only charging like maybe 40 or 50% of my force the first turn. The second turn, I charged a few more, but I still had two or three knights in reserve. Um, and they were basically the only ones that were alive. <laughs> so mm-hmm. turn five is where it really got spicy, though. Yeah, maybe let's let's jump there. You want to take this one? Yeah, so turn five, if you kind of if you kind of know where the board is at the middle has kind of opened up and just because there were so many casualties and and it really was a right side battle and a left side battle and in the middle you've got Forlong the Fat, Imrahil, on right side of middle is Dalamir now, Delgamar is still not gotten into combat trying to come from his position way back right side of board he's getting close my captain had broken through uh, and so he's now on what would have been, when the lines clashed, your side of the battle line with a few of his Corsairs around. And this is where things really got got interesting. So remember, Forlong the Fat was my target and my captain, who's now alone in the back, and he's, he had about three or four warriors, uh, w- was sitting there kind of on a back island. Dalamir the bosun and a bunch of Corsairs are right next to Forlong and Imrahil. We were both in charge range. You won priority. And I was just kind of sick because I was thinking you were going to get a charge with Forlong on horse against Dalamir. And what you did was you moved your entire range to go get Forlong on my captain, isolated. And you got several warriors on the captain as well. You then took Imrahil and charged him towards Delgamar. Imrahil wasn't quite in contact with Delgamar, but he was really, really close. Like the next turn, if you want to move or one priority, you were going to get into Delgamar. We we got to back up one second, so I think we're missing one of the coolest parts. And we'll post pictures, but this this sequence, I think I won priority, but we called conflicting moves. We had so many precision moves of what heroic, what heroic actions would be able to reach. We were spacing things out with one-inch tokens. Uh, it was it was a pretty fun sequence uh, this turn. Very slow, but there were so many things going on. Yeah, and we'll post a picture of that just because I think it's a great way to be precise when you're trying to figure out who can go where is using those tokens to measure out the moves. So it was pretty cool. Any, anyways, it, it was. It was kind of relief for me, and then also kind of sadness at the same time because my assassin is fighting my target, but my assassin is greatly outnumbered. So after you made your move, the model's num- the model advantage kind of came my way because even though you had my captain in a really, really bad spot, I was able to peel off quite a few warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that the captain was basically going one-on-one with Forlong, who got the charge. And Marcus, correct me if you remember it different, but basically Forlong's two attacks, got an extra attack for the charge, flubbed his dice. I rolled a five high, 
four long rolled a four high. You mited it to force a roll off, and I used the captain's last point of might to go to a six. So I won the combat against all odds. Was Forlong trapped? He was no. not. He was not, okay. He was not. Um, and when it's all said and done, somehow I win that, and I put a wound on Forlong. Mm-hmm. Only one wound. Because I, I only had one point of might left, and I didn't want to spend it, because I, I spent one point to get you to a five. You burned your last point of might on the captain to win the fight. And I wanted to have one point of might with four long because I was I was running pretty low at this point. Correct. On the and, table. And, and you, you didn't realize he was a, your assassin at this point either. So oh, I can yeah, see I you, never. I can see you. You can play this. You're playing the long game. You're not playing the immediate game. This is all unknown to you. Yeah, this this is part of Master Genius and the fact that I never in my wildest dreams imagined that the captain was your assassin. And number two, that you were like me. Okay, I have a 50-50 chance of guessing your target, but the fact that I never even I never even considered the fact your captain was your assassin made me much more cavalier, and I was uh, maybe borderline arrogant on the fact that oh, I'm D6. I've got three wounds and one fate. What can you do? So I only put one wound on him, and Forlong flubbed his fate. Yep. Uh, I think he rolled a one. And so at that point, I, I couldn't help myself. I was so giddy. I let, I let the cat out of the bag. I'm like, that was my target. <laughs> that was my assassin. <laughs> and, and so at that point, it's, it's three nothing uh, on the mm-hmm. score tally. Now, Forlong never got out of that back side because I was able to keep him put. Well, he did eventually, but it, it, for, for the next two turns, Forlong was there. And the next huge sequence... On the following turn, what no, it was that same turn involves Imrahil calling a heroic combat and getting into Delgamar with Delgamar being trapped. Yeah, I was this is this is the part that I think your strategy is being underplayed here, but my target was Delgamar. And you had deployed him in the back, and you had kept him out of the fray completely. So this entire, what are we, turn five? Up until turn five, I didn't even have a realistic shot at even trying to kill Dalgamar because he was too, he was behind two ranks of warriors. But yeah, at the I was start trying of, to make it look like I was being sneaky with them. And... Yeah, no, and, and you were out of range. You were you're playing it safe. Uh, I didn't even have an option. But the start of turn five, we were talking about the, all those moves. Dalgamar was your key move. He moved, moved forward, and and you kind of catapulted people forward mm-hmm. that you'll see in the pictures. But because of that move, you finally exposed for the first time in the entire game. You finally exposed Dalgamar, and I had an opportunity to charge. So you're you're spot on. I called a combat with Emerhill. I think there was one or two warriors, maybe. Emerhill um, mopped those guys up, and then charged into Dalgamar, who does not have strike. He was by himself. Emerhill, uh, he's got the charge bonus plus a banner. I have the fight advantage plus a lance. I'm thinking, hot dog, like I, I'm going to kill him one turn for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then that's that's five victory points because Emerhill is obviously not my assassin, but that's my target. This is going to be sweet. Yeah. Then you never, never tempt the dice gods. That's all I got to <laughs> say. Uh, sure enough, Dalgamar's got three attacks. It's a great, it's a great boon. You rolled a six, and then Emrahil uh, could not match the six. And Emrahil, because he called the combat, was out of might, so I had no, no modifiers. 
I don't remember what I got. I just remember I didn't get a six. Uh, with five dice. With five dice. So, you know, whatever. Emerhill backs up. He's D7. He's on an armored horse. Matt rolls. Matt's like, okay, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. I don't want to mess this up, but this is how I remember it. Matt's like, okay, I'm going to try and kill Emerhill's horse. Rolls the first dice like a two. No wound. Second dice. I'm on the horse. Okay, rolls a a one, whatever it was. Third dice, I'm going to attack the horse. He finally kills the horse. I'm like, okay, well, you wasted all three of your attacks just to get him off his horse, whatever. It happens. Roll my falling chart. I rolled a one. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Roll, okay, fine. Strength three hit, and I rolled a six. (laughs) Are you freaking kidding me? So Emerhill... (laughs) <laughs> Emerhill took a wound from falling. And I was like, well, it's not a big deal. I have three fate. <laughs> Never tempt the dice gods. <laughs> so we're just going to fast forward. Emerhill took a wound, and Matt got victory points for wounding the enemy leader because Emerhill fell off his horse. And hurt his little butt. And Surprise. hurt his little butt. <laughs> Holy but, crap. And and you're, you're prone. With, I'm prone. I think... How many fate did you use? You didn't use them all. I honestly don't remember. I, I do I remember I took a wound, so maybe I only rolled one or two and then saved the last one and finally just took the wound. I can't remember. Okay. So you're prone. Uh, and the re- the remaining reavers that I had finally started to do some damage. I got a few traps in using my normal warriors to make traps. Piercing struck with the reavers, so strength four plus two to wound. Um, they they finally started making an impact on that turn, yeah. And th- and then all the other corsairs, you know, did really well. I got a few traps. That backstabber rule, I just can't say enough about it. It's amazing. It's um, it's horrible. I hate the rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the next turn, Emrahil's prone. And yes. If I can get the move off, I'm going to have a lot of models surrounding you with plus a lot to wound. Um, yes. including Delgamar on him. So uh, you won priority. I called a move. And you had... Four long in the back. Ang- Four long was in the back, but you called a move with Angbor, who was very close to Imrahil, and you won the roll-off. So Imrahil got to stand up, go back into combat against Dalgamar, and you got to keep a numbers advantage. So I believe you had Imrahil... And two warriors on Delgamar. Plus a pike, I think. Plus a pike. And Delgamar is up against the trees. So Delgamar is trapped. Dalamir and the bosun on the other side are st- have basically had their way on that end and are now coming back to the middle. You got Forlong away from the captain and started trying to move towards Dalamir with him. Mm-hmm. And now you can yeah, call you, off you the... Let the you let the cat out of the bag. You was like, that was my assassin. So, <laughs> so you're like, like, okay. Leaving. <laughs> I'm not going to attempt fate again. I'm going to go try and do something a little safer, maybe. And and I, I think you actually did get him into Delamere that turn. So the, the, big, the big combats that matter right now is you've got Delgamar, who's your target, is surrounded with Emerhill on him. You've got Forlong the Fat in against Dalamere and kept him from throwing a smoke bomb. Mm-hmm. And my bosun was free to move around, so we basically tried to surround Forlong, uh, which which happened. So I'll cut to the chase. We've made enough fun of Marcus's rolling. Marcus failed to get a six again, and Delgamar won the combat. 
hold on. Let's let's talk about how many dice I was rolling here. So it's Emerhill's three plus the three warriors plus my banner. Seven dice. Seven dice. Ah, <laughs> uh, it, it was many delicious. words were many words were said that evening that cannot be repeated. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, so, Forlong died that turn. Dalamere yeah. Dalamere did not kill Delgamar. And or Emerhill did not kill Dal- yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Dalgamar. Yeah, thank you. Uh Angbor basically was laying an egg the entire game. Uh he didn't he didn't do much. So the, it was basically a game of attrition at that point until we get to victory conditions. Uh so it it, it kind of petered out from there. Dalamere killed Forlong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angbor did not wound Delgamar. Delgamar somehow got out of that and then ran away for his life. Yes. Um, and so I got points for wounding your leader. Five uh, points. You, you killed him. At, you, I think you killed him in the end. Oh, I did? Because the next, the next turn you, uh, you were able to swarm him and then, uh, he was kind of by himself and you had him trapped. And I, I, I think you got the max points for killing him or Hill. Okay. And then five points for killing the target. Yep. And I think we and both broke. We both broke each other. Yes. So if I tally that up right, that's seven one. Eight one. Eight one. Eight one. So now that score makes it sound like it was a blowout, but that was down to the wire. And I think the key moment was when you went to my captain, and then Delgamar somehow pulling out those two crazy against all odds wins. Yeah, and, and well, Dalamir. I've underplayed Dalamir, but he was just a stud. He killed so many warriors. It was yeah, unbelievable. And the smoke bomb's scary, especially since Emerhill's got three will, but both my other heroes only had. Uh, well, Forlong was closest, and he only had one will, so he really couldn't do much um, if you were to target him down. So I was scared of even being close to you. Yeah, and and it doesn't play well when you started really getting down on the numbers because you had some really nice moves, but I was just able to pick off so many things and bring the numbers back to my advantage. Like the move, someone might be thinking, well, why did Forlong charge Dalamir? It made sense because the way you set it up, but I was able to flank around the sides and just pull everybody off. Dalamir should have died. Um, yeah. Forlong was still on a horse, so Dalamir could have gotten knocked down. But just being able to come back and peel models off really worked to my advantage on that. Well, and that point too, I was trying, and this is, I want to talk about this because we can laugh about the dice rolls, but I am a firm believer that even if the dice suck, very rarely are they the complete, are they the total, are the total cause for your demise? So, and, and also I think it, the score, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but the score was zero, zero going into the last two turns. And from the last two turns, it went from three to zero to eight to one. So it was it was a very close game down to the wire. But this is what I did. After I got frazzled, after you wounded Forlong with your captain, in my head I said, okay, well now I just need victory points. And where can I get victory points? I can get victory points if I kill your leader. That's two. And so I had an opportunity to charge. And so I was going, okay, I have three dice versus your three dice, and I have a banner. And Galamir had no might left. No might left, yep. Let's and I have a, a land, I have a I'm strength five that's wounding on threes, re-rolling ones. If I win the fight, you're gonna die. And so I tempted fate, but I never I should have done the math in my head because if I killed your leader, 
that's two points. That's the best case scenario. You have three wounds, three fate. If I wound your leader, that's only one victory point. And in turn, if you turn around and finish killing four long, that's two more victory points to you. So at best case, I'm I'm working with a, a plus two minus two, which is which was a stupid decision. I never should have charged four long into into um, Dalamir because th that's just not a good payoff there. I should have focused on confirming I broke you because it was close. I almost didn't break you, and then um, really focused on trying to kill uh, my target. So it was a stupid move to play to play against your your leader. You capitalized on it. You took advantage of it and and scored additional victory points. So, yeah, my mini soapbox. Yeah, it's, so it was a really fun game. Uh, the numbers and the the army bonus were amazing. I'd say what I did not do well was use my crossbows to great effect. They they basically didn't do much. Um, they were used to make traps. Um, the throwing weapons, I feel like I did okay on them, but. Uh, didn't get the most use. This army is about throwing weapons and crossbows and then going into combat when, when you're really ready. Uh, but it worked out well. Really fun game. Yeah, no, it was it was a great game. I got my butt whooped, but it was it was fun. Yeah. What you so I, I challenged you to the throwdown. I was the one that said fiefdoms versus uh, Corsairs way back when. Overall, you got the eight one victory, so a sound victory, but what did you think of the army? They gave you a run for your money, I feel like. They did. They did. And, you know, anytime you win a game and the big epic moment or the game-changing moment is winning when you have 20 dice total and you don't get a six, it kind of <laughs> it kind of it kind of takes <laughs> like I, I would love to have done it where you didn't have like two massively bad turns of dice rolling with them because it kind of takes it away, but I mean still it, it's all good. No, even if that even if that had have gone my way, though, I think you still would have had the advantage because um, your sneaky strategy of selecting the captain as your target, you still would have had. Even if I would have killed your guy, you still would have had a minor victory, I think, because I, I didn't get a wound with my assassin. So, yeah, it, it would have changed to a what an eight, five, eight, no, an eight, six victory. Eight, six. Yeah. So I went best case scenario for me, I think at that point it would have been eight, six loss. Yeah. Um, and I think Imrahil with not having any might wouldn't have been able to, to do too much after he killed Delgamar to change the game. So yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. I, I thought I did a really good job of taking advantage of my bonuses. Uh, four longs. No, yeah. No, no. Angbor's bonus was kind of worthless this game just because his is fearless. Uh, four long was the reroll ones because he's in the middle and we had really good success early on. Couldn't really capitalize on the reroll ones too much just because there's never a lot of models around him but the banner i i had so much fun with the banner in this game it was it was pretty great yeah so and i didn't answer your question i think uh this was the first time i played against del Amrath. very fun army very scary army with the synergies all those horses high defense high fight and fight high courage based troops around around uh, imrahil is 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 hard to deal with it's basically like fighting elves but these elves can actually kill things. So now overall, a great game. We will have to have a grudge match because no, nope. can't. Nope. I'm leaving while on my head. Come back, come back to the Pacific Northwest and uh, we will, we will have a rematch. And I do think this trip was the first time I've ever beat you in like a real game. Uh, 
We have to bring all these topics up. Yeah. At once. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, this is the first time. On I'm that note, I am officially retiring from the Durham show. <laughs> <laughs> it's been good knowing all of you guys. <laughs> I have dethroned the evil monster. Yes, yes, well done. Not only did you dethrone me, you man, you, you burned my throne on top of it. Awesome. Uh, it was rough. Rough, rough, rough. But no, it, it sounds oh, like it was a really a close game. game. I, it sounds like a really close game, like Matt said. It, 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 it skewed at the last minute, but it could have gone, like you guys said, as close as it could have been. So I wasn't was, there, unfortunately, but it's just, I, got, I heard many reports. So You, you weren't yes. there for this, and this will be the last, the last little bit I say. So I, I think, Matt, if, if I was honest, I think I, I had you. I had the advantage on deployment. I had the advantage with some of my moves. I was able to kind of line things up to my advantage. Um, but your your tactics and who you picked for the mission and your list building countered all of those advantages. So even though I think I, I did get I did squeak out with some um, some positives there, your ability to field 58 troops, and keep plugging those holes. Even if I was having massive success early on, you kept filling the holes. You kept plugging the lines. Your army never gave me the opportunity to really enjoy the the benefit of those first two turns. Because we talked about it briefly, but I killed probably 15 models in the first two turns of combat. And not even half our army was engaged in combat. It was a massive swing to Delarmoth. And... I never, I never felt that advantage because you just kept hoarding on top, piling on top. So props to you for a really good list. Thanks, man. And I will say one other thing that was, I think, a game-changing play on the first turn of combat, even though it, it didn't go the way I wanted, but calling the strike and the combat with the bosun and taking away Imrahil's heroic combat because he had to call a strike with me having the ability to see how I rolled for the strike and either engage Imrahil or not. Imrahil being down to two might without getting that combat off, I thought was kind of a big difference in the end. Yes. A fantastic play. Yeah, we didn't talk about that at all. Uh, I, I don't know if we've talked about it in the podcast a lot, but proactively calling heroic abilities to prevent somebody else. Because if I wouldn't, if I would have called a combat, I would have really risked Imrahil dying. Um, but proactively calling those heroic abilities to prevent somebody from doing what they want to do can be a huge play. And you did that. You did that beautifully. Yeah, and I got lucky, so. <laughs> That's uh, what it is. You now, got lucky. And now we will go into game number two, where <laughs> eventually luck runs out. <laughs> so this, this was the second day or third day, whatever it was. Third day. Uh, I've been hearing these stories because Matt also played Angmar, which is a scary Angmar list. And he came out with like a 7-0 victory or something like that. I can't remember. What was it? the report that came out of that, right? Am I wrong? No, I, th- I think uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah but I, no, I so, think it was worse than 7-0, but that I'm, was that was that was we'll say I'm no, I I've got my no, pride no, on the line here. I'm not trying to <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up. I'm not no, trying to I have, you in the dirt. I'm trying to set set the stage for me because I'm like, I, oh, that's Rodgers Corsairs. Oh, it was actually Oh, it was actually it was actually 12. It was actually 12-0, but I will say that was more of a friendly game. I was being stupid with uh, with uh, my Angmar. It definitely backfired in a really bad way. Okay. Uh, drinks were involved, and then the second game, <laughs> the second game, I looked Matt in the eyes and said, "This is for real," and he beat me a one. So that's. <laughs> Anyways, 
my intimidation factor was way, way high, seeing that Matt was rolling in with this Corsair army that was unbeaten. So I was really, really, really intimidated, let's just say that, with his gun line. Yeah, so let's let's talk about your list. But before you do, I'll just tell everybody I it was still 800 points, but I made a minor change to my list. I reduced a few crossbows, added a few extra corsairs with spear and shield, and I um, I just the end result was I was coming with 59 models this time instead of 58, and I had a few less crossbows. Yeah, I think you had 12 crossbows. You still had the contingency of uh, black Numenorians with the black Numenorian banner. I added a couple black Numenorians, so I had 13 because the captain had one. Okay, you were getting that D6 up in there and the terror and... Yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. But you're still at 59 models. It was crazy. I was rolling in with my Cond, and uh, I've been running Cond as a pure force at 800 points for a few games. I think this was my fourth game um, with them. So I'm still really, really new with them. I played with them as an alliance, obviously, to Easterlings, but never as a pure force this was my fourth game as a pure cond list and this was at 800 points um so i was rolling uh two condish kings on chariot two chieftains on chariot two charioteers so that's six chariots those are the big ones that stand out in the list i had 11 horsemen 16 axemen and six bowmen i think so i was at 39 models if i remember right but those those chariots should count for like five models each they they do take up a lot of space they take up a lot of space because um, when you deploy, man, you're you're stretching that whole board, really. Um, even if you stagger it a little bit. Um, so I think we rolled for scenario. We got breakthrough. Am I right? Yes, that is correct. So that's the one where if you capture your opponent's objective, that's two to four. The middle objectives, which there's two of on each side, that's one to two, and then your own objective is one for yourself. And then you get points for breaking and enemy leader, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. So Matt. Why don't you start it off? So we're, we're playing on the exact same board that we just described. So I won to pick board edge. Correction, Mitchell won board edge, and, and he took the side uh, with really open terrain. So Mitchell, you want to kind of tell him how you deployed your army, and then I'll tell him how I deployed mine? Yeah, so uh, there was not a lot of room. There was these three houses, and uh, I checked before the game started. You could fit a chariot through, but just barely uh, in between the houses. Um, you had one gap in the center. There was like a clump of trees and a well that were, and then a house that you could fit one chariot through that gap and maybe a warrior. It was, it was a little bit, a uh, little bit of a wider gap. And then on the right side middle, there was the biggest gap. And that, that looked to me like I could fit three chariots through there. So that was the big gap that I was going to probably push the hardest from. And on the right side, there was like a ruined house with one objective on there. And then to the rights, all the way to the board, you could get around that ruins, but there was on Matt's side, a clump of trees and a wall that was kind of hard to maneuver around. So I was thinking right off the bat, okay, um, I'm going to have to deploy majority of my chariots on the right side because that's the most room. So I dropped my leader um, on the right side in the middle and I dropped my, one of my chieftains with him and then the two charioteers. So one charioteer went with the two heroes up the middle, and one charioteer I had to deploy angling out towards the right because I didn't know if Matt was going to deploy hard on my right side uh, because if he did, that was a nice clear shot towards my back objective, so I had to protect against it a little bit. So I had to deploy 
that fourth chariot kind of protecting against the far outside edge. And it might take him a couple extra turns to get somewhere all the way around it, but at least I could protect myself. And then on the left side, I deployed my other king. Um, he was uh, just at this point, you had deployed your reavers, and they were kind of deployed uh, up on the line, up on the center in between those houses, kind of clumped in those houses. So I deployed him like six and a half inches off so he couldn't be charged, but so that he could kind of run through that those houses first turn. And then my last chieftain, um, I had to deploy on that left center, kind of blitzing up between the houses and the well, um, kind of on center, though. He was still on kind of the center because it's 24-inch deployments. I kind of filled in with my horsemen and warriors wherever I could. I deployed a large chunk of warriors on the far right objective because they were um, not content, uh, not contended for that right objective. So I, I was able to kind of like take over that objective. And I had a lot of bowmen on my back objective kind of protecting that. Right. Okay. So the way I deployed, you know, my deployment and my first two turns was, was really just poor play on my part. And then Mitchell really capitalized on it, but I'll kind of describe how I deployed. So I measured from his front line of chariots with his leader and I deployed 14 inches away. And in my head, I was thinking if he does heroic march, he'll only be able to get into one line of warriors. Um, and then that's the worst damage it'll be able to do. Um, and we'll get back to that cause huge miscalculation. And then the, the game before that we'd talked about earlier, those houses, the, <laughs> I didn't check when we set it up, but we, we purposely moved the terrain. So a chariot would fit through the houses, but I didn't measure it and realize that. And that, that was a conscious move. That was the right thing to do. But for some reason I was thinking those houses was too small. For Mitchell's chariot. So I was kind of puzzled why he put his chariot there. So I deployed my reavers up front right against him at the front of the board because I thought his chariot would be stuck and I'd get reavers up and against it. Um, so I have a huge gun line and my entire arm, my other three warbands, 14 inches away from Mitchell's main army. And then I have my bosun and his 12 reavers in between the houses on my far right side, Mitchell's left side. Uh, thinking that, oh man, Mitchell's made a huge error. He's going to lose two chariots right here in this entire right side, and I'm going to come flank. Um, but that gap was big enough for the chariots, which turns out to be fairly, fairly significant. So just imagine big gun line in the middle. Um, what would it be? 60, no, 41 warriors. Yeah, you had you had a large chunk of it. You had probably, yeah, with the captain, with... Dalgamar and Delamere. Uh, yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, it'd be 46 warriors and heroes in the middle, and then 13 off on the right. Yeah. Okay, and then turn one, I do believe I won. No, I, I lost priority. You won yeah, priority, right? Yeah, I won priority. And when I was looking at this, you had your captain's warband with, I think, like nine Corsair warriors in front of the wall. So And then, obviously, you had that big chunk of the large portion of your army. They were like, I think, was it 14 inches? I thought it was like 13. Was, uh, how far back were they? They were like, they were close to like 14. They were right on the edge, right? Yeah, they, they were right at 14 because I had measured and I thought, if you called a heroic combat, you'd be able to move 15 but not hit my second line. Right, right. So I did end up calling two marches. I called one with each chieftain. 
And the idea was I was going to get my three main chariots into you as fast as possible and try to eliminate uh, eliminate the shooting. Because I think if I measured right, my king had range. If he could just impact one guy, he had the range to get into combat with um, Dalgamar. Uh, he did. He did. First turn. Yeah. So I was trying to get my king into combat with Dalgamar first turn. So I heroic march twice. Then you called a heroic move with your captain. Right. And with my captain, I basically moved him up and a few of his warband uh, up behind some barrels and a well and then behind some trees uh, so that your chariots, if they wanted to go after him, they'd have to hit warriors before they could hit the captain and they'd pivot away from my main force and I'd be able to counter move was my thinking to get into him. Right. So I pushed hard. Turn. This is turn one. I pushed hard with my three chariots on the far on the right side. And I don't remember getting a lot of kills. I think I just got like two kills or something like that with those guys. And my king actually bounced off the warrior that was in front of Dalgamar. So I never got into combat with him. And my far outside charioteer started heading around the building. I pushed forward with my warriors. I left. I had to push up with three horsemen to follow the chariots, but they were right in range of the gun line. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a bad day for them. Uh and I pushed hard with my chieftain with the march, and I tried to push into to get into your captain. And I think I got like one to two impact hits with him, but he eventually stalled as well. And I remember my king pushed into your reavers, splitting those buildings, and he got only like one impact hit, if I remember. I remember I was really surprised with how much I bounced off on that first turn of movement. And I remember I think, you getting three reavers on the first move. Oh, was it three? Okay, it was three. Yeah. So my king pushed through three on the move, and you were able to counter charge on the three main chariots uh, that pushed into your main horde, uh, not with your uh, captain's warband because they called the heroic move. And with your reavers, you did a surprising move to me. You didn't gang up on the, the king. Instead, you kind of abandoned the guy that was charged the king, and you tried to run around the outside of the building towards the board edge. Yes. And now for everybody who's wondering why I'm such an idiot, this, this was my first huge number one miscalculation with where the chariot could go. And number two, I didn't think about the obvious benefit of chariots. I was thinking about the initial move and mitigating impact hits, but... For some reason, I mind-blanked on if they heroic combat, they get to move again and get all the impact hits. So in the middle and on the far right, I was thinking he only char he's only in one. If he calls another heroic combat, I'll make sure he can only get into one more, and I'll get the rest of my guys in a flanking move out of position. And I just completely spaced the fact that if he does call a heroic combat, he's got a whole bunch of impact hits on strength three warriors coming. And I just did not think about that. So Mitchell, you want to describe how those initial yeah. combats went? So shooting, we both shot our bows at each other. We didn't do much. I, I got, I got no kills with my only big, big line of crossbows, yeah, by the way. Yeah. Your gun line shot out one horse. That's it. You didn't kill the rider. You just shot out the horse. Yep. With, Quite a few shots. Yeah, that was a lot of shots. So I was very fortunate there. Um, and your hero, uh, Dalamir, jumped into combat with my chieftain in the middle. Missed his smoke bomb. 
Yes, missed. He rolled a two on the smoke bound again. Dicer with me. Uh, rolled a two. Uh, got in combat with a chieftain. You kind of ganged up on that chieftain, and you kind of actually left my king alone. It was in combat with one guy by the time combat started, if I remember right. Yeah, so you had two kings in combat with only one people. Again, my thinking was it, they can only get to a limited number. I was forgetting about the impact hits on the move. So turn one of combat, I called three heroic combats, one with each king and one with my chieftain that was blitzing on the captains. All three of them were in combat with one person. And if I remember right, my king on the far left had the most success. He was the one that was in with the Reavers. He ended up killing his guy in front of him. And I think he killed like eight Reavers with impact hits after that. I think at the end of this, at the end of this turn, I had three Reavers left and a bosun. Three Reavers left and a bosun. Out of warband of 12, right? 12 Reavers. Yeah. Yeah. So one king in the first turn of combat killed nine Reavers. That's right. So crazy huge impact hits there. I mean, two dice needing uh, four plus. We, we figured out it was a 75% chance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was- well, and this is, this is where I almost got banished to a different room because your first chariot that you ever charged, or your first two chariots killed nobody, but then I made you switch dice because we were trying to film. So you were rolling green dice on a green mat, <laughs> and then you switched to Gandalf dice and then proceeded to roll like 72 sixes in a row. <laughs> and Matt was Matt was staring Matt was staring daggers the size of telephone poles the rest of the game. Yeah, because Marcus is like those those dice don't show up well. And Mitchell was rolling ones and twos with them, and then he switched to the Gandalf dice, and boom. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah. thank you, Marcus. I appreciate the tactical. <laughs> uh, uh, King ended up killing. Yeah, that's right. Nine reavers in one turn, including the first movement impact hits. Uh, my other king hero combat, and I think he got like five or six impact hits on some warriors. He didn't get end up get enough movement or pivoting room to get into your leader, but uh, uh, he was stopped pretty pretty close and set up for the next turn to do so. And then my chieftain hero combated, got through two warriors and impact hit your captain, and put one wound on your captain, which you were able to fate, if I remember right. Yes, and you have saved the Dalamir surrounding a chariot, uh, which was another huge mistake on my part. Uh, so the chariot that is not a hero is on the charge, surrounded by, completely trapped by a ton of Corsairs and Dalamir. Dalamir's smoke bomb missed. Now, there, he's fight five, right? My chieftain, yes. My yeah, chief- your chieftain was fight five, so I guess he did have might. Uh, I did not strike with Dalamir. Um, because I was worried about might at this point, and I was thinking if I could control the moves, and you wound up, we both rolled sixes, mm-hmm. and you won the roll-off, mm-hmm. and I think you put uh, three wounds on Dalamir, and he, he used all three fate? Yes. So turn okay. one, Dalamir's out of fate, but he did roll three fours, so he didn't take a wound. Yeah, he passed all three fate, correct. But lucky for me that I won that roll-off. Otherwise, that chieftain, it was not looking good for him. Well, we'll get back into that. But with the rules for the chariot, I think he'd have been just fine anyways. But um, you put this in perspective. I think I am somewhere at the end of turn one between 20 to 30% of my models gone. Is think that's fairly close? 
Yes, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember the actual numbers of what I, th- I think Marcus said after. No, it wasn't. It wasn't end of turn one that twenty to thirty percent because you killed a lot. You killed a lot of the Reavers, but I think it was only like nine or ten models total because Mitchell's big chariot success went against your hero completely. It was the start of turn two that the uh, the kill count went crazy. Yeah, that's right. All so right. I think we're in the like ten to fifteen kills after end of turn one somewhere around there but doubt almost all my reavers are gone and dalamir has no fate um so your captain your captain got wounded yes yeah and i mean turn two uh was again very bloody so mitchell you want to walk us through turn two all right so turn two i lost priority and i also lost the roll off for um the back objective you called one with delgamar and you also called a heroic move with your captain who was over by the well you prioritized delgamar and you surrounded my king and my chieftain so i didn't get any charges off with them that turn Um, but because you prioritized that one i was able to get a charge off with my chieftain and this was the big surprise was my chieftain got a charge off onto your captain and dealt two wounds to him with no fate, if I remember right. That was turn two, right, Matt? Correct. So I, I one-punched your... Well, not one-punched, but I punched through your captain with my chieftain. And then I started making a blitz towards your back objective with this uh, surprise reinforcements of this chieftain. And he, like, cut through the captain plus, like, four more warriors and, like, a black Numenorian, if I remember right, um, pushing hard towards your back objective. Uh, on the right side, all my warriors are finally like getting close, but not quite into combat. And my far outside charioteer is starting to round the corner of the wall, probably one more turn away from charging in to the your main horde. And then because I lost priority, it allowed your remaining three or four reavers, whatever it was, and a bosun to escape away without having to call a heroic move. And you were able to get around the house. And so my king could not pursue because he could not fit between the house and the board edge. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, and he was in on one other chariot and a bunch of horsemen. Or was it just horsemen? It was a bunch of horsemen. Uh, okay. Because my king, my king could not pursue because he couldn't fit through the gap. Yeah, so I ended up having, here. I have to turn him around and start heading back towards the back objective and hope that my horsemen and warriors can stall these few reavers and a bosun right i so i think on turn two i had some crazy impact hits obviously with my chieftain but other than that um there wasn't a whole lot on impact wise but my combats my horsemen and my warriors started to really fill the gaps on that middle where my chieftain just blew through and they were really starting to put pressure on that left side objective and take it over completely. And yeah, your bosun and reavers pushed around the heart side. And I thought they were going to be gunning for my back objective. So I was really trying to send some reinforcements. I had three bowmen on my back objective. I had one bowman outside of range of the back objective, but against the wall to try to hold up a defensive. And I was trying to take as many shots over there as possible. I think I had four horsemen over there. And you were able, because you won priority, you got the charge off. And you actually just dropped those four horsemen like nothing with those reavers and traps. Yeah, that, that went fairly well on that side. 
Now, what got me in the middle in that round of combat is I remember this was the first chariot I killed that round. I didn't even kill the hero because the way the rules work is every single thing kept hitting the chariot, even though the chariot was dead. And so nothing, nothing got done. And, and at the end, you'd basically just have a, a chieftain on the ground and not even dead. Yeah. So this is a good opportunity to drop into the specific rules for the chariot. This is a, a touchy subject, depending on which side of the dice you roll. But uh, the, I've talked with multiple TOs in the area. I've sent in FAQs to the FAQ team. And this game happened like a day after the FAQs for August had just come out. And so there was no clarification on this, which was unfortunate. But, uh, you know, consulting with multiple TOs in the area, you know, the rules as written, I believe we have gotten it right, is um, it, it, the Chariot Defensive Bulwarks special rule says that each time a model wishes to strike the rider, they roll a D6. On a 1 to 4, they must strike the, the Chariot. On a 5 or 6, they may strike the rider. So, and that's with all their strikes, including traps and everything, right? So this comes down multiple times where the first three guys will actually kill the chariot. Because I think uh, Delamere killed the chariot all by himself, if I remember right, with his trapped. All all by himself. Bane of Kings trapped. Chariot Plus one one to wound. It it one-punched the chariot. But the way the order of operations uh, works not just for the combat, but also specifically on page 125, as Marcus pointed out, with cavalry on the cavalry section, is you do not take the throne rider test until all strikes are resolved. There's there's some discrepancy there on uh, you know what it works out for multiple combats, but what it boils down to is what Marcus pointed out to is on page 125 in the cavalry section where you don't take your throne rider test until after all strikes are resolved. Am I reading that right, Marcus? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think I might've gotten the page numbers mixed up because I can't remember what the the Calvary section is versus the monstrous charge section. We were looking at so many things, but yeah, you're spot on. You don't take the throne rider test until all strikes are resolved. And so from from a logic perspective, it doesn't make sense that you could have a sequence where your cavalry model, your, your chariot loses the combat, your chariot is killed. Then you place the rider on the on the space where the chariot was. You continue resolving strikes. You don't kill the model, and then the model takes a thrown rider test and falls down. Like that just seems stupid. So there's there's contradicting logic when you look at the shoot phase sequence of operations, being individual strikes or individual shots. You look at the rules for uh, resolving multiple combats where it says you have to remove casualties immediately. But then you have the throne rider rules that explicitly says you don't take the throne rider rule until you until all strikes have been resolved. So so basically the end result is the chariot's dead, but it's still blocking everybody else's strikes and no one else was able to strike the rider. So they're all striking a dead chariot. Yeah, they're still making the in the way checks. They're still rolling. And you rolled like one to four with everybody. So yeah. even though the chariot's dead, you're not removing the model from play until everything's resolved. Everybody keeps striking a dead chariot. And basically what it ends up being is even though you had plus one to wound, like 30 dice, um, I still wound up coming out with an a unwounded chieftain. So 
I mean, Mitchell, on this, you, you just played the setup and the placement so well. I mean, that's turn two. You've got very limited casualties in the middle. Uh, you did have some some bad casualties on the right, but nothing compared to taking out all my reavers, which were a huge force. So if, if you fast forward, the next couple turns were somewhat uneventful. I'd say turn three and four, but yeah. at the end at the end of it, I am borderline broken at the end of turn four, and you're still in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I, things, so, I mean, it just looks dire for me at the end of turn four. I mean, it's just been an epic butt whooping. Yeah, I think at the end of turn two, we we counted up, You, I'd killed 27 of your Corsairs at the end of turn two. Um, I think that's the number that someone threw out, and I just remembered that. But it was... You were, si you were sitting on your back objective. Yes. You were sitting on both middle objectives, and we were contesting my back objective. Right, we were pushing hard for that one. And you still had your block of small reavers and bosun coming around the the back house there. Yeah, and, and they were trying to make their way. They'd killed your horses. You had some warriors sitting on yeah. the the back the, the right side middle objective, but I wasn't pursuing them. I was trying to go towards your back line where you had, I think, three people on it. Yeah, yeah. And then turn five is where it started to take it. And I won't get this exactly right, but turn five... I was able to start getting to bear on a lot of your models and start racking up some kills in turn five and six, I believe, if I yeah. got those turns right. Yes, absolutely. Um, because I had broken you about either turn four or five, but your bosun was passing his stand fast. Your leader had auto-passed the first one. There was no problem there much. A couple of people ran away, but not much. Um, and then, like you said, by turn six, I think you broke me. At turn well, six. and 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 turn yeah, and turn six, I broke you. But what was also pivotal is I surrounded your war leader, had Dalamir in there, and I killed your army's leader. Yes, yes, you did kill my leader, uh, and so this is when it all came down to like the last moments, um, because I hadn't. I was probably you had just broken me, and if I remember, I, I had still still to kill seven more of your guys in order to quarter you, if that was mm -hmm. right. I can't remember, mm -hmm. something like that. And so we started, we rolled for priority, and I had won, because I was very fortunate in winning priorities. Um, and so it was time to start for me to take Courage Test. And at this point, I had seven guys sitting on objectives. I had two on the left side, two on the right side, and three on my back objectives ready to defend against your Reavers. And I failed six of the courage tests with them. The only one I passed was on my right side. And so all of a sudden where I thought I had plenty of defensiveness on objectives, I suddenly had nothing. <laughs> and so your reavers saw a wide open target. And you had nobody on the back, nope. nobody on the right, nope. nobody on the left, and we were contesting mine. Yes. So in a, in a very desperate move, I was able to pull one horseman and one warrior. They were sitting out kind of by the well, and they were able to get in range of the left side objective. So I still had the right side objective, and I got two guys into the left side objective. I then pushed really, really hard to try to kill your leader, to try to get some VPs, because uh, my other king finally made it into the combats. Um, he called a heroic combat, killed 
two guys, uh, three guys with impact hits. And he had one more guy to mow down before he got into combat with your leader. And he stalled on the guy before your leader. Because you did a great, great move because you saw it coming. You stacked as many guys in between my king and your leader as possible. And it, I stalled I, on the guy in front. I put three guys between them. One of the guys you were charged into. And with the two other guys, I moved them right up into base contact. And I tried to use throwing daggers to kill my guy with those but they failed i was trying to take away your heroic combat so ah. the, e the evil throwing daggers didn't quite work out but it's still you killed him killed one other guy and stalled on the third one so you that, couldn't get into dalamere that's right that's right and so then this, on th this was the final turn then and on the back sequence i had pushed everything i could to take your back objective because i still had a shot at this point to be able to contest my side and take away victory points for you on that i'd killed your leader and if I could touch on the back objective, I had a chance to either tie or win the game, I think, at this point. Yeah, because what I was no, thinking is if I could have contested and taken away points, if I could have had equal models, I still had a chance of having the oh, same I amount see. of models on the, the back one. You would yeah. have claimed the middle right, and I would have claimed the back. I would have gotten four points for that and points for killing your leader. So five points, and you would have been sitting on two or whatever you get for the, the, the middle right objective. Right. Okay. Instead of the, okay. Instead of yeah. the two for the back, because it's two to four for yours. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what looked like, I, I had just been getting my butt whooped because you failed all those courage tests when you finally broke. I had somehow a wing and a prayer of pulling off a victory. Yes. Uh, but what happened is your combats, you just destroyed me on the back line. You took away all but two of my models on the back line. My, yes. my leader, Dalamir, at the end of this turn was left, and I had one black Numenorian. Yep. And then on your back objective, my guys were three and a half inches away, so they were not able to claim it. Right, and he ran away, too. It was really close. We were all measuring, and we were all like pulling out the tapes. And Yeah, he was three and a half inches away. From what he could have been, if yeah, he from what he could have been, test. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he wouldn't have been able to get it, but then he failed his courage test and ran away anyways. Yeah. And then but, you completely wiped me off the backside. So in the end, you were claiming two of three objectives, but one of them was my backside, which was a big, big points grabber. Mm -hmm. I had no objectives. So what is that? Six to one, or is it? And then you broke seven. me. Yeah, seven yeah. to three. And, and we each, we, we each three. broke each other. Yeah, and you killed my leader, which is worth two. So it ended up being 7-3, right? Major victory to you, and very well played. Very well played. It came down close to the end. I, I, I remember Marcus was saying, oh, Mitchell's playing it all on the line. I'm like, I got seven guys, like 50% chance, Courage 3. Like, there's no way. And all of a sudden, I watched as Murphy's Law played, and uh, I watched six guys run away, and I was not expecting that at all, especially on the, yeah. Yeah. So... I, I don't want to take away because major victory, very well earned. I was very impressed with the way you staged your chariots and spent might early when it counted to get combats and heroic moves and heroic marches. That was awesome. I'll, I'll just talk about my lessons learned is number one, at the end of the move phase, chariots are still very dangerous as it turns out, if they can heroic combat. <laughs> um not understanding the way the chariot in the way works after you kill the chariot. I had made several times where I just piled everything into the chariots and 
you don't get a kill out of it. Uh, not heroic striking with Dalamir and not controlling the moves better. Major, major errors on my part. Um, but even had I done that, this this was just so well set up by you that, I mean, I might have been able to make it a little closer early on versus having to have a Hail Mary at the end. But um, those are lessons I'll take away uh, when playing the lawn mowers in the future. <laughs> And I learned just how hard it is to quarter a 59 model army. <laughs> oh my gosh. It seemed like the game would never end. I'm still doing the math. I'm like, how many do I need to kill to quarter you? And you're like, oh, still 37, <laughs> so whatever yeah. it is. But yeah. uh, I, I think if I had played it a little, I, like, I couldn't get my heroes back there to do a stand fast to help the people on objectives. Um, and like, if I could do some things better, I think if I could eliminate risk of my leader uh, being killed, because I blitzed him right into your main board. It was kind of what I had to do. Um, but obviously, that was two easy VPs for you. Um, I think I need to be a little more careful with him. Um, I usually like to play him on the outside where he's out of, out of risk, but um, I think I just need to be more conscious of that because it's easy VPs. Well, and, and talk about that specifically, Mitchell, because it's it's your king profile and your your king profile and your leader profile are the same profile. Mm -hmm. So you could have launched, you could have had the a very similar uh, strategy of launching that king profile right in the middle, wrecking mayhem. And if he dies, oh well. But one is VPs, one's not VPs, is what we were kind of think talking about at the end of the game. Watching this game was fun because uh, there was another guy over. We were kind of just like the peanut gallery, and we were chatting on the side how um, how reminisced this was to watching a player, like a newer player, play the Mumak for the first time ever. And like you have, there's always that one point in the game where the Mumak turns left and then runs over a significant portion of its own army to then in turn run over a more significant portion of your army. And it's like a, a move that the new player never sees coming. I feel like Matt, you got hit. <laughs> you got hit with like a double broadside with like the chariots charging combat marching. It was, uh, it was an eye opening experience just to see how, how much they can maneuver in the thick of things. Absolutely. And I mean, you combine it with the fact that I, didn't realize how maneuverable they could be because I kind of thought they'd stall out and be stuck a few times not being able to get into combat. And they, they can. It turns out, you know, the way they move, they're very maneuverable. Um, and then Mitch, Mitchell's, Mitchell's uh, on the elite side of the player spectrum, so he plays it really, really well. Oh. Mitch, Mitchell, you, you, got the, you got this one in on me. I, I, I don't, I don't want to take away from your victory because you earned it, but I just, I made some real boneheads because I underestimated how the movement mechanic works. Um, so it, oh. it feels like one of those losses where you I, just think, man, what did I do that for? And, well, and sitting in turn three, I was just shaking my head. I thought, you know, he already had me up against the wall and, and why did I do that? Yeah. And I, 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 I'm not taking it that way at all. I completely feel for you because rolling so many kill after kill after kill with impact hits where it's like, okay, I have 10 inches of movement and look at that. I've killed eight guys, you know, or whatever it was with the impact. hits. I just felt dirty, you know, and you, you should, <laughs> it was, it was dirty. Um, I will say, I do feel like chariots are seriously underestimated in their movement. Everybody says, well, 
it's hard to maneuver them. I think it's true. What I found with chariots is that I, I ran them as an alliance with Easterlings. And if you run one to two, they'll frust- they always frustrated me. I was like, I'm never getting my points out of them. They never work because they'll stall. They're, it's hard to maneuver them. But if you run like five or six chariots in a pure con force, suddenly I feel like chariots live up to their potential, right? Because where one stalls out, the other will take over. And you have this crisscross pattern of chariots moving all over the place. And it feels like chaos, but it's controlled chaos in a sense. So this game was like taking a, you know, an F-350 through the Walmart parking lot. And where, speed, <laughs> you know, you, you hit speed bumps. In, in this case, a chariot is the 350 and a speed bump is a strength four warrior. Um, and you're like, yeah. did I just hit something? I think I might have hit a speed bump, but I'm not sure. <laughs> no, but it was a great game. Uh, I'm, I felt fortunate to win as many priorities I did and the key roll-offs in the beginning. Uh, and I felt very fortunate to get uh, – I think the big thing that really surprised you when you, you stood back was when I mowed over your captain in the middle. And that was, that was even surprising for me to put two wounds on him. Um, and get support towards that back as fast as I did. And so there was a lot of get to fight back. Nope. There was a lot of surprising things that happened for me in that game. The the biggest one of the entire game was when you put your chariot between those two houses. I'm like, he doesn't fit. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh <he does laughs> Who moved the houses? <laughs> I think he you were in the bathroom when night. Mitchell and I were strategically <laughs> adjusting all of those pieces of terrain. <laughs> no, Mitchell, Wait a the funny thing is the night before when I played Marcus, I was laughing. I'm like, well, this is going to be a great spot to hide my warriors against Mitchell's chariots tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the TO would never allow that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, like any, it's like any loss. You learn a lot from it. And I mean, it, it's just so silly because the, they're, they're so intimidating that you honestly, I wasn't even thinking. I mean, it's... It, I was like, well, he can only get so many in this charge. Oh, wait, heroic combats. He's yeah. going to get a lot of impact hits. When you started doing that, I just, well, this game's over. Well, you kept it close to out of the wire, but, yeah, I do feel like a lot of things went my way. Well, they, the they did early on, but the dice abandoned you. All those courage tests, and I started winning priority at the end. Your chariots weren't moving. That's how I was able to come back and, and break you, and then when you ran away. So the dice definitely evened out. It wasn't, it wasn't a dice loss at all. They were very good to you and also very cruel. <laughs> Don't put 80 warriors on a chariot. <laughs> put the bare minimum to trap it so you kill the chariot and then expect to kill the rider the next turn is my lesson. It's a good lesson. Wait, oh, charge charge yeah. enough to prevent heroic combats. Yes. Charge enough to prevent heroic combats. Yes, yes. And I will tell you, you'd think I'd have learned that after the first time, but I was like, oh, this time, certainly I'll roll some fives and hit the rider. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it is surprisingly hard. I played, I played a few armies with the chariots. I played um, Minas Tirith with the shield walls. I played Army of the Dead with the defense eight, and they attack your courage. And still, they managed to tank a lot of things. Which, so I think that's the biggest thing I've learned from the chariots is how much they can tank, tank a yeah. turn. Yeah. Well, it was really good to play some games again. Uh, these these two games that we just talked about, that was my first ones in a very, very long time. So, um, you know, a win and a loss, 50%. That seems to be my world. So I'll take it. Something that I want to do, I don't know if this is going to be overkill for you guys, but I'm a rules nerd and for all the other rules nerds because I feel like the 
quintessential part of the Cond army are the chariots. And we were talking about the rules for strikes. Uh, Mitchell, I, I would pulled up the rule book while we were talking. So I have some of the references. So a lot of discussion about how the strikes against the chariot work. Do they stick around? So it's the, the logic that I, I laid out was in the shoot phase, you shoot items one at a time. And as soon as they kill, as soon as they die, you remove the model from play. So shooting is very uh, individual. When you go to the fight phase, it lays out order of operations for individual combats. And it says you, you duel, you strike, and then after all strikes are resolved, you remove models. And then on page 47, in for multiple combats, it says when you have multiple attacks, um, when you're removing casualties, it says as soon as a model is, re is reduced to zero wounds, you, um, you immediately remove it from play um, when you're in multiple combats. So you have all of those potentially conflicting um, pieces of data, right. but, but it's on page 63, not 125. Okay. On page 63... I want to read this out loud because I feel like this is going to be an FAQ at some point. And it, uh, it seems like we've got it right. But this is page 63, strikes against cavalry models. Uh, I'll read this verbatim. It says, if you win a dual roll against a cavalry model, which chariots are cavalry models, you may choose to strike either the rider or the mount. This is the choice of the player making the attacks. If they have several attacks to distribute, they can resolve them one at a time in the usual fashion, alternating between rider and mount if they wish. If this slays the mount, a thrown rider test will need to be taken after all other strikes have been made. Now, this doesn't say, it doesn't differentiate between is this all strikes for a single model? Is this all strikes for all models? We're interpreting that it's all strikes for all models. You don't take the thrown rider test until everything's been resolved. Therefore, the chariot stays until the right. end of the phase. And the key too is the chariot does have the cavalry keyword so it does fit into that category yeah uh, yeah like i said i was i did try my best i sent in the faq i think if we get a bunch more people faqing this it might get changed but as of right now i i was surprised because actually i was arguing the other way around when um pat the to down in portland was saying actually i th i think rules is written it goes in your favor and i was like oh and i was looking into it and i was like oh and i started consulting around and it it does seem weird, but uh, I think yeah, you're right. I think rules is written. It's kind of no. I think on the next FAQ they'll add another question about does a heroic uh, does the deadly shot modifier still apply uh, with some? Oh of the my gosh! That, that's what they'll answer. <laughs> they'll have another deadly shot. Then they'll do something else about that that dwarf with the book that takes away somebody's special rule. And, and dwarf not... with a book. What blasphemy is this? <laughs> what blasphemy is this? Get out of here. They'll probably not FAQ the chariots. Well, no, this is this is a good plug. What we're we're doing, we're cr we're creating an unofficial FAQ for all of the all of the rules questions like this chariot that we've run into over the last year. And we're gonna start coming to a consensus. We'll we'll consult everybody on the West Coast and and find what other consensus consensus is so we're playing consistent. But there when you start writing them down, I have like 15 legitimate rules questions that They've been sent into the FAQ, but no, no answers yet. Yep. And I, yes, there's some rules as written that I feel like should be in the chariot's favor that are not rules as written. And then I feel like this, there's some that shouldn't be in the chariot's favor that are rules as written. And so getting, I have a lot of FAQ. I've, I've never really sent in FAQs. I've sent in three about these chariots, these dang chariots, but none of them have been answered. 
You know what the one FAQ question that I'm frustrated that has been answered yet, and maybe this is dumb, and I know we're getting distracted, but now I'm on a soapbox. They just, in the recent FAQ, they qualified their stance on uh, shooting in the way. So if you have, what did they say? If you have Gandalf with blinding light in between a archer and a warrior, and the archer wants to shoot the warrior, and the warrior is not within blinding light range, Gandalf uh, it still is is still in the way, so you can essentially hit Gandalf normally if you if you hit him in the, in the way rolls, right? So the blinding light has no effect. So what I what I think is really stupid is when you have blinding light. Blinding light represents you can't see; it's really hard to see. When you're targeting, if you're a spellcaster targeting magical powers into a cluster that is protected by blinding light, why is there not some sort of modifier? for the fact that you can't see the model you're trying to target, like a Sorcerer's Blast or Transfix, Compel, whatever it is. Why is there no consideration for spells being thrown into a blinding light, but there is shooting being thrown into blinding light? Wizards don't need eyes to see. But they do. You have to have line of sight to, unless you're a Radagast, you have to have line of sight to see. You have to have line of sight to cast your spell. It no, makes no sense. Don't distort the picture with facts. I was trying to make an argument that sounded like I was confident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one FAQ question that I sent in. And yeah, mom's the word. Yeah, they'll get to it eventually. I'm going to send in, does Deadly Shot get... No. <laughs> does it still hit on a 2 plus if the moon is inverted? <laughs> Legolas profile in the Mirkwood list with Deadly Shot. <laughs> I, I do think they does have a deadly shot. people keep asking because their answer is always no. It always hits on a 2 plus. <laughs> so Quit asking us. <laughs> well, there's so many the edits. Next one, after... I, hope, I hope that they FAQ it and they say, please see prior FAQ. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The scenarios that people drum up to where Legolas might have a modifier on top of everything that's going on. It's quite impressive. Like, I, had, I never knew there could be so many situations where you're always hit on a 2 plus could be challenged. Because they're quasi-legitimate questions, but still. I think yeah. the, what the six total. All right, guys. Well, that uh, it's been fun. Two games, two good games to talk about. Many more, many more games to play. Uh, maybe before we quit, one part that I was curious to talk to you both about, and myself, after playing for the first time in a long time, what are the obvious modifications or ideas or things you want to play with, test with your next variation of the list? Because Mitchell and Matt, you both said that you're going to commit somewhat to these lists, try to really get good with them, play test them a lot. What are the next flavors or ideas you want to try? Um, I'm trying. I still haven't played my Easterlings at 800 since that uh, episode came out. So I'm, I got to get those on the table. I kind of got hooked on the Cond for a while, so I've been playing them nonstop. But that's probably the next. next no, variation. no. I mean, I mean, like flavors of Con, Mitchell. Like what? Are you just going to keep rocking the exact same list? Do you have any ideas for switching um, it up? No, I do have an idea of switching it up. Um, the biggest thing I think that makes the con work is the double six-inch banners. Um, that paid off huge in almost every game I've played. So dropping a king to get an alliance in really hurts because I really like those six-inch banners. So one of the things I came up with was putting Soledan 
in there for an actual six inch banner. So you score VPs for scenarios and you can get a bunch more warriors. So I I jump up to, I still have five chariots, but I jump up to 44 models plus a three might hero leader who is a 12 inch stand fast uh, hero of legend. So with an actual banner. So that was a variation I was going to throw in there. Excellent. So for me, I'm toying with the fact that I'm essentially bringing three banners in this list um, or three things that count as a banner. Uh, one of them being an actual banner. I, I'm toying with the idea of getting rid of the Black Numenorian with banner and giving him a Warhorn instead. Against a normal army, I like my odds with Courage 4 and Courage 5, but if I play something with Harbinger of Evil, going down to Courage 3, I don't like those odds so much. So I am keep toying around with that. And then I thought about reducing the crossbows since I'm just not getting their effect, but I actually am going to toy with, instead of tweaking the list so much, I'm going to keep the crossbows maxed out and not try to set it up so I can shoot with all of them, but to create a staggering. So like one stands still and shoots. Um, So you're, you're basically getting, you know, eight crossbow shots a turn, but, but setting them up for moves so I can stagger and really play the game of maximizing shooting, maximizing throwing daggers. So I've got to figure out how to do that. And that's, Less of a least list tweak and more of a strategy tweak, um, but I, I, I do I like think it. I'm I'm over bannered, and if I do have all those crossbows, if I'm playing a scenario where banners count for points, I feel like with all my shooting options, I can make a point of sniping my enemy's crossbow versus making sure one is in my list for points. If that makes sense, so I think a warhorn is a good trade-off. Awesome. Something I thought about right before we came on the podcast tonight, the idea of taking a ring wraith in your Corsair list, not because I think the, it's the Knight of Umbar, right? Yeah. Not, of, not because I think he's the greatest uh, ring wraith option available, but I imagine a ring wraith combined with your smoke bomb. Your smoke bomb's biggest weakness right now is for bigger heroes, it's going to take three turns to weather through all of those will points to resist the smoke bomb. But if you had a ring rate to sap will, or to transfix, and the person was having to spend additional will per turn, maybe making the smoke bomb more potent. But yeah, that, that would that sacrifice would have, a lot of dudes. It, it would. It really takes your numbers down. Um, I I have that model. I haven't. I actually brought them. I just never brought them into the list because 120 points. That is a lot of numbers. So I don't know. It just I would have to totally reinvent. But yeah, in in this case. If I were to play Mitchell's Cond again, I would absolutely take that variant just to do a transfix and get everybody's will gone so that Dalamir has a smoke bomb option. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I don't think I would mess too much with my fiefdoms. I feel like I've played it a lot. I like the I like the mechanics. And I think if I were to list build or list tweak, it would be pretty fundamentally altering the core composition. Four long Angbor and Emerhill, they're fun. They might not be the best, but I'm having a lot of fun playing with them. And I think if I take, like I've talked about previously, I think if I take any other composition, it's going to pretty drastically alter heroes, warrior troop choices, everything. So, and I, I don't like have those see, models. I would like to see you bring a done here variant and get rid of Angbor for one time just to see how it works. Yes. I, I'll have to rebuy the Ranger pack. I had some Rangers. I sold them, but now maybe I need to go buy them again. A shooty, a shooty fiefdoms. Well, guys, ton of fun. Hopefully, we get to keep playing some games somewhat regularly. Uh, 
Matt, hopefully you'll come back up to the area at some point and we can uh, get a grudge match in so the fiefdoms can regain their honor. Um, Absolutely. All right, guys. Good episode. Thanks. See you. Peace.